1: We discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm
2: Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm talking with Lucinda Weatherby. Lucinda has an MA in psychology and is a writer and grief counselor who has a passion for sharing her experience of her infant son's birth, life, and death. Her memoir, Five Hours How My Son's Brief Life Changed Everything, has been described as brave, beautiful, and accessible. She runs support groups and does individual sessions for bereaved parents and is a board member of Winter Spring, a grief support nonprofit in Southern Oregon. She loves to hear from readers and anyone interested in grief, and she can be reached through her website, www.fivehoursbook.com. Welcome, Lucinda. Thank you. It's so, great to So be happy here. to have <laughs> you and talk talk about I've I've had several interviews about infant loss or stillbirth uh, that that whole um, type of loss and I think it's so important that we're that we're getting those messages out um, with your book and many other things that I've that I've been exposed to doing the show
3: yeah me too Um, and unfortunately it seems to happen more often than we think you know even in our culture with such advanced medical care and, um, you know, it's, so I'm, I'm definitely a big believer in, you know, giving, um, everyone the message that it's really okay to talk about these things and helpful.
2: Yes. And I think because of the technology in this culture, we, we sort of develop a fantasy that, uh, or maybe a, um, denial mechanism that, that, uh, Somehow, birth is perfected, or mm-hmm. you know that that things just won't happen. And and um, while we don't want to scare ourselves, I think it's good to uh, have messages out there that you walked yourself through this and had had help to walk through it.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And that that was one of the surprising things to me was just how how um, amazing the support was on all levels, even without preparing for this at all. You know, we had no idea going into the hospital. We thought we were going to go in for a birth. And we went in and we had a birth and a death. And the just the support from the entire spectrum of people that were there for us, there were a couple of exceptions maybe out of, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, we... Um, we just were really, really held, you know, from medical professionals to midwives to friends to family. Um, So, yeah, in that way, the book, I think, is there's a positive message. Because I think right now there's so much in our culture about how badly we do death and how much there's a need for more grief support and more awareness. And and, and I see that. It's kind of a paradox, you know, Mm because I do think that there's a huge um gap between where we could be you know where we are and where we could be on um the death and dying um spectrum but i do i think it's getting a lot better in my experience was i didn't go looking to find out you know how it was to go through a sudden death in our culture but i really um really felt held in very surprising ways
2: it's wonderful to hear that, and as I know from doing this show, somewhat somewhat unusual if it if you haven't had time to cultivate it. That's certainly my experience. But we had uh, with my wife's death years and years yeah. and years to cultivate that and to become um, more uh, educated, for one thing, and just. Um, our friends became educated in the, you know, a lot with a very long time to do it. So I think it's remarkable that with no time at all, um, you found that for yourselves or it found you in a way. Yeah.
3: I know that was, I mean, that was one of, um, yeah, the takeaways for me was like, you know, I, I mean, I'm not nearly as worried about death as I used to be because I have the experience now in my body, in my awareness that you know, I had, I, I had everything I needed to get through that with incredible grace. You know, like I didn't have to study up on it. I didn't have to have a death plan going into the hospital. I didn't, and of course, I mean, I'm really lucky. Like I'm in a very conscious community and a conscious family. And, um, so I know it wasn't all, um, it wasn't all just this miraculous thing that happened. And I'm so grateful for everybody that whose shoulders were standing on who, you know, I'll never know who changed policies in hospitals about how they deal with infant deaths. you know, from one generation ago where you would never even have seen the baby to now where they encourage people to hold them and name them and get to know them, you know, even after a stillbirth or an early infant loss like mine. Um, so anyway, it's, it's hard, you know, I always find it really, I always want to talk about this experience so much because I learned so much. There's no way I could ever say it. And there's, the challenge is I can't get it across the way I want to <laughs> because there's so much and there's so much paradox in it. Everything in it was so paradoxical. Um, just, you know, I mean, just on every level from it being, you know the hardest thing I've ever had to face, and something I'd never wish on anyone. And yet, at the same time, this unbelievable, these blessings that came with it, that I would never want to give back.
2: Um, yes. Well, I don't know if you know about the post-traumatic growth people. I mention them yes, a lot on the show. Yeah, have heard you talk and, about And that. what one thing I love that they that they emphasize is the growth doesn't take away the trauma. They're parallel. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know. It's,
3: yes, the, it's so dangerous to yes. to think that you're saying you're glad your child died, you know, like yeah, or I or you're glad you got in,
2: cancer, you know, or uh, whatever yeah. it might be, whatever the loss is. No, why would you ever be glad about that? But Right. That's
3: why it, there's it's yeah. nuanced. Yeah. yeah. And
2: in the very early days after Theo died,
3: I was so ashamed of all the positive feelings I had. Because um, I felt like I was some kind of a monster, you know, like, and I really had a hard time sharing that. And I would go to grief group and hear everybody talking about how, you know, miserable they were. And and so I would just talk about that side of it, which was very true and real, you know, the grief is so intense. It was for me anyway, I should just speak from my own experience, but yeah, I mean, it, it was really hard and there was, you know, it was really, really difficult on many levels. Um, And yet I had, you know, these Incredible openings and insights, and the, the the love that I felt was bigger than anything I'd ever felt. Um, and well,
2: that's that's really yeah, uh, to, striking to me because even though I did have all those years, and we were all very educated about uh, whatever we could, we couldn't be prepared, but we sure did prepare. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know. Well And still, the part of my experience I shared with nearly no one was uh, an experience of euphoria. Yes. Which was not shock whatsoever. I was very present. It was not – I knew exactly what was happening. There was no – it was just that uh, standing at that doorway seemed very beautiful to me for a long time, five or six weeks. Yeah, uh, I think that's really an underreported experience. Uh, just from talking to other people, that yeah, there's some right, way you're in this too, other place. And yeah, and it, it's almost like it's
3: taboo to talk about that because, um, like you say, you don't want to. You know, you don't want people to think you're going, "Yay, my loved one died." Um, but yeah, I've heard that quite a bit too. Um, and I, yeah, I just um, so that's part of what. Yeah, I guess one of the reasons in writing the book was really wanted to talk about that and try to capture that paradox. Um, And, um, and I know lots of other people are doing it and I appreciate you for talking about it too. And um, everyone else who is,
2: well, I think one thing you captured well in your book is just that you're, you're, that's a huge part of the experience. And then there's the part about being a human and being in terrible pain and, and kind of the web of different things that are going on all at once. Yeah. And I think that is
3: the, um, that's part of the paradox, you know, is that we have so many different parts of ourselves. And when they talk about the grief stages, you know, the whole like, um, denial shock and, um, moving through depression and, and then acceptance. I, I mean, I remember feeling all of those things and more, um, And sometimes feeling, you know, they would rotate around really quickly, you know, often really high and then really low, you know, all over the gamut. And I think that's part of why I found grief so tiring is because it was just like this roller coaster of emotions that I wasn't used to running through me. Absolutely. Um, And then also feeling some of them at the same time, you know, like being aware there's a part of me, this wailing mother who is just... Absolutely, like, tearing her hair out and screaming and wanting her child back. And there's that part of me that will never go away. And at the same time, there's this other part of me that's just totally okay with it. Like, this was meant to happen exactly this way. I can feel the perfection of it. I am so okay with it. I feel, you know, just, I'm so, like, and both of those, sometimes those notes would, like, play at the same time, and it's very strange.
2: Yes, Um, yes. I don't know if you've seen, uh, it's been running around the Internet, a, uh, a little graphic where on one side is a bell curve that describes all the stages of grief, and you go down and then you go up, and very organized. And next to it is a tangled mass of of, um, lines intersecting, yeah. you know, a jumble of, and, uh, uh this yeah. is what they call it. Well, this is how they describe it. This is how it is kind of. Thing. Right. I think I have and seen I, that.
3: Yes. And I, yes. it's really, really accurate for me. because it very, is it's Very just,
2: much for but, me too. Um, I'd yeah. like to, uh, have you read a little bit from the book to give listeners a sense of, um, the book, for one thing, but also this first section, the the very beginning of the book, uh, to me, sort of captures the the um, terrible shock, and then at the same time, what you're talking about was this kind of a pre predestined. Uh-huh. You, you combine those two quite well. Could you share that? Yeah,
3: the from the opening paragraph. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So. <clears throat> no one will ever know when or why the chromosome splits the wrong way. It could be the sperm, but more likely because of my age, 35. It is the egg that carries faulty information. I've traveled a lot this year, several round trips to Costa Rica and England, the radiation from airport x ray machines blasting my body. Not long before conception, I treated the boys for headlace, pouring noxious smelling shampoo onto my hands to kill the bugs and their eggs. Later, I will darkly recall that I disregarded the instructions cautioning users to wear gloves. However it happens, the embryo is doomed from the start. As its first cells begin to split neatly into pairs, the 13th chromosome adds an extra chromosome to each new cell, Over and over again, first two, then four, then eight, then scores, then hundreds, thousands, millions, and billions of cells, all with faulty instructions on how to construct a body. It's estimated that between 95 and 98 percent of such cases are miscarried early on. Many of the remaining embryos are detected by prenatal screening and aborted. Or are miscarried or stillborn later, but against the odds, our embryo will grow to be a fetus, and the fetus will make it to full term, and survive the birth process. We'd have better odds of being struck by
2: lightning. What what I really felt when I read that was the mystery of our losses. Mm-hmm. That there, that there really, there is something remarkably mysterious about this whole life and death thing that we can't ever nail down entirely. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that all of those factors combine to create your experience.
3: Yeah, I know, and it, and I later on in the book, I think toward the end, talk about um, what Einstein said about how you can either believe that everything in life is a miracle or nothing in life is a miracle. And um, it's just that funny thing. Again, it's almost a paradox because, you know, looking back at how he came into being, the, the story would be, you know, the sort of happy story in our culture would be that, you know, that had been detected or my body had realized something was going wrong and had a miscarriage And yet, when he was born, you know, I felt like I had hit the jackpot, (laughs) you know, that I was so incredibly lucky that he survived all that, and that we got to meet him and have five hours with him. And, you know, that, again, it was, yeah, like you're saying, it's such an incredible mystery, like, um, how, you know, how it all happened, it doesn't seem, I I guess you could believe it was all just sort of, you know, the outcome of the decisions we made along the way, like, not to have... Prenatal testing, um, and yet I think of the whole thing as this you know um, yes, a miracle that nobody could have orchestrated rash you know there's no way anything <laughs> anyone could have planned this, you know it was just this amazing um, grace that happened to me that I yeah again, I wouldn't give back, and people later on, you know you've read the book, I talk about this that certain people said, oh, it's too bad you didn't have an amnio and you could have avoided this whole thing, you know, all the pain of what you went through. And I can totally understand where they're coming from, you know, because before, if I had had, uh, if I had had um, the amnio early on, I'm pretty sure I would have chosen to have an abortion. I'm not positive because now I know Mm -hmm. that you never know what you're going to do until you're there, you know. Right, right. I can't predict how I would have actually felt in that moment. But I sort of think pretty confidently that that's what I would have chosen because I wouldn't have thought I had it in me to go through that experience and get through it intact, you know, to, to birth a baby with severe handicaps and to have him die. Um, so I think I would have picked what I would have seen then as the easy way out. Let's just have an abortion, forget it ever happened, try to get pregnant again. Yes. Let's um, come
2: back to that but, after the break. Yeah. Listen. Um, because I think that's that's important, those moments of kind of surrender to, you know, the strangeness of how things are sometimes. Um, yeah. So we'll, let's come back to that. When we, when we get back and listeners you'll find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America you can like me on Facebook follow me on Twitter, etc um, sign up for my email list and to find Lucinda Weatherby go to www.5hoursbook.com be back soon <laughs>
4: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Much of the time, the illnesses that people feel are simply symptoms, and they mask the root cause of what the real health problem is. You can take back control of your own health, starting with billionaire health care. This program is hosted by Ashley Black and Dari Samia. Our program will introduce you to fascia, which is the knowledge of the living matrix. This bit of knowledge can bring you the health secrets that only the rich and famous have known. Until now. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness.
0: Tune in every Tuesday for C. diff, spores, and more with hosts Nancy Karala and Dr. Chandra Bali Ghosh. Our program is to provide information about C. healthcare-associated infections, and more. Nancy is a diff survivor, healthcare professional, and the founder and executive director of the C. Foundation. And Dr. Ghosh is the chairperson of research and development for the C. Foundation. Together, with their guests, we'll explore infection prevention, treatments, environmental safety, and more. Listen every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live, wherever you go, on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
1: You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones.
2: Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones. And I've been talking with Lucinda Weatherby about her son, Theo, who died after only five hours of life, and also about her book, Five Hours, How My Son's Brief Life Changed Everything. She tells her story in that book of uh, giving birth to him, having him live and her be with him for five hours, and then uh, his death. So, we were talking about this kind of weird mystery of how, uh, things come to unfold. For instance, uh, and, and how we can then look back and be mystified by it. For instance, my wife was supposed to live six months to a year after diagnosis, and Mm -hmm. she lived, she lived eight and a half years. Wow. And, And that, um, there's, there's no way that the experience I ended up having would have been possible in six months.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, I'm sure that I would have uh, accelerated, you know, right. and, and been able to do it in the way that you were able to do it. But certainly a hugely different experience to live with that for so long. And, of course, now that's a big part of what I'm grateful for. Which at mm-hmm. the time which, at the time, was so hard uh, right but uh so i I understand what you're saying that the very same things that people would think you would want to avoid or want to have avoided a uh, a very long illness or a uh, a kind of predetermined loss that you could have avoided, so you know uh, yeah. That really, yeah. those are the things that become very emblematic of the experience, yeah?
3: Right, right. Yeah, and you hear about that with people that, um, you know, that like um, paraplegics and quadriplegics, that a lot of them talk about, you know, the accident that put them in the wheelchairs being, you know, this incredible grace and that they actually wouldn't choose to go back because of who they are now, Um And you hear that, and I remember hearing that before this happened and thinking that can't possibly be true. They're just trying to make something out of a bad situation. Um, But I know now the, the truth of that for me. You know that. Um, well, that and just, in a
2: way, aren't I, I? would say, listen, aren't both true? Like they are trying to make something out of a bad situation. Yeah, that's yeah. what we do.
3: And then yeah, we that's really true. And that's. I guess <laughs> that's part of the the message is like, yeah, that we're really able to do that. Like we're all incredibly resilient and able to adapt. And we have these fear stories that I could never live with. That I, could, you know, I totally didn't believe I was a person who could. Survive the loss of an infant. I just didn't think I had that in me, and I didn't think that that was going to be sent my way because I didn't think I had it in me to get through it. And as I if think, we
2: have that kind of control, huh? Yeah, exactly,
3: <laughs> exactly, right. And um, I—that's one of yeah—and that's one of the things now that I have a deeper sense of confidence in myself and in everybody else that we really we can bear our burdens um, and that yeah and 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 it's okay, you know, but there's i don't know there's just something um something about how it can be trivialized or something um there's it it's not i don't know how to put it into words, but um yeah, I think what you're saying is true that both both are true we are we're making the best of a difficult situation, and yet it's not quite that simple, it's just more you know nuanced and layered or, and
2: right. Yes, and
3: hard to talk about, which is part of why I like the challenge of trying to talk about because it, it's worth it. Yeah, you know? <laughs>
2: <Like, laughs> it is worth it. It, it. That's that's why I yes. do this every week. Exactly, <laughs> that's exactly that's why to try to it's a uh, great
3: great challenge. Really,
2: really put faces on that because it's so uh, so very very common this experience of making something out of a bad thing, and yet yeah. there's so so little talk about it out out there more, more as time goes on, but still somewhat limited. Uh, this, Yeah. It's, yeah. Hard, it's
3: hard. It's hard to talk about. For me, it's hard to talk about it and feel like I really can, <laughs> you know, words kind, they're, they're inadequate. Words are very, um, you know, they're just conceptual and to, to describe a truth is really um, difficult with just words, but like, yeah, like we're saying, I think it's totally worth trying because we can point to things. And then also, you know, validate for everybody else, as, you know, who's have that experience that, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's normal and we can talk about it and um, try to talk about it.
2: I also yeah. think there's an aspect, at least for me, um, you know, something, something terrible happens and then typically people around you want it to be all good or all bad. Uh, either either your lost loved one has gone to a better place so why feel sad or um you know how are you how can you possibly be living through this there's not a whole lot in between yeah <laughs> and yeah. so for for me the idea that actually we're we're very grief is very complex and uh one thing i used to say is to to grieve you have to be able to Feel at least two things at the same time. um, I love that that are are in contradiction. You know that's That's the nature of it. That's great. Yeah. Usually ten or twelve. At least two. That resonates with you, huh?
3: Yeah. I. uh, That's a good one. I still. um, I still find it hard. You know, as as like somebody. You know, I've been talking about grief and working as you know in the grief field for the last ten years and. Writing about it, and and I still find it hard to talk about, um, you know, a friend of mine's mother just died, and I was writing him an email actually this morning, and I just, it was so hard to find the right words, you know, even for me, and yes. which, you know, I feel like I, I should be a little better at this by now, but I think it is kind of the limitations of language and um, and. I just couldn't seem to say anything that didn't sound either one way or the other, you know. Like you're saying, either too positive or too negative. It's hard to capture, um, yeah, the paradox in, in a in a single sentence or in a paragraph, whatever. Yeah.
2: So Do you um think that yeah, I, I yeah, I have. I the think sense that's a lot that of why
3: grief is something that we're not that comfortable with um, talking about.
2: For um, sure, I think yeah. maybe the the difference is knowing that it's better to speak if, even if you don't know exactly what to say or not, <laughs> just yes, you know, say, say something. Yeah. <laughs> and, and be ready to I, be stand correct yeah. to, to stand correct. Yeah. Show, you know, show <laughs>
3: up. Don't, um, yeah. I mean, so many, I remember before this happened to me, just sometimes avoiding people that were grieving because it was easier than, you know, saying the wrong thing or hurting their feelings or whatever. And, um, and now I definitely err on the side of saying too much. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I, I still remember the people that didn't, you know, write or email or call um, yeah, after Theo because died. Yeah, you're so,
2: you're so uh, bare naked. Everything just kind of gets in and lands, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, nothing anyone wrote,
3: honestly, I don't remember anything um, that I didn't feel grateful for. You know, even the most, you know, I don't know, just um, syrupy or sappy or superficial, nothing. It didn't matter. It was just that somebody took time to write a card or call me or write an email. You know, anything, just say, I'm thinking of you. Or And, yeah, the most, the people that really got in with me, that was, you know, and... and I tell the story in the book of um, my friend Andy, you know, I think it was a couple weeks after Theo died, and he saw me. We were in the playground at the same time, and he saw me, and I saw him look at me with fear in his eyes, like, Mm -hmm. oh, no, there she is. And then, you know, I saw him sort of overcome that and and walk over to me and say, um, he said, I am so scared to see you because I have no idea what to say and i just said to him that was the perfect thing to say you know mm-hmm. just to be real and speak from your own heart you know your own truth and his truth in that moment that he was terrified and he didn't know what to say um
2: and and it i i'll tell you tears just popped to my eyes to have someone just admit it you know <laughs> Just yeah. Acknowledge yeah, be, that there's no right thing to say, and you're scared, and you. But you want yeah. to say something. and all Yeah, of that. and I also think that's the people message. that said nothing.
3: There were people that you know just walked up to me and took me in their arms. You know, and that was just as beautiful. You know, just that, just the presence. You know, the attention, and that's what I always think with grieving people. What they need is attention. You know, they need. Yes. That's the the greatest gift that we can give them is showing up, being with them. And you don't know what to say and you don't know how to help. You can't help. I mean, maybe, you, maybe something you say will help, but you can't know what to do or how to fix it. There's no fixing that kind of pain.
2: Well, I, th- but, I guess I yeah. guess that in a way that's why it teaches uh, being more than doing. Yeah. Yep. Because... Doesn't it? It makes a huge difference to me if I'm in pain and someone can just be with me. Yeah, exactly. And not in some kind of um, cosmic sense, but just sit there with me. You know? Yeah, uh, yeah. And, it's and amazing. not be afraid of that. Um, yep. On the other end is this kind of transcended experience that you talk about a lot, and I wonder if you'd share that section of the book that happened. Not very long after Theo died. Very soon after he died, because that mm-hmm. sort of captures that part of it, where those yeah. moments of of complete grace.
3: Sure. Okay. So yeah, this um, is yeah just uh, probably hours or maybe you know within a day after he died, just sitting in the hospital. Time seems to stop and expand into a huge white space. I have very little mental activity. It is like sitting in a vast nothingness. I can't even begin to consider reading, listening to music, or thinking of anything past or future. For days, this will be the case. I can only be with people, talking and listening, even laughing occasionally, or sit blankly or cry. I have very little interest in food, and it takes severe hunger pains to remind me to eat. I've found myself in a state that is weightless, as if I've dropped every ounce, surrendering, surrendered everything I've been carrying, even things I didn't realize had weight, like unarticulated worries, attention on others, memories, thoughts. Being in this nothingness, this allness, is effortless, peaceful, a paradox of emptiness and fullness. And now that I'm here... I see how much energy I've wasted in my life, worrying that I didn't have this in me, that it would take more discipline and effort than I was capable of to see truth so purely. I woke up when I had to, when I knew Theo would die, and then everything in me became love. I hope I don't go back to sleep, but I know it's okay if I do. When I need to, I will awake again. None of our life is truly wasted. We will always land here in the end.
2: I I really like that um when I knew Theo would would die, then everything in me became love. Uh you know, I I've talked with a lot of people. I'm thinking of of um a guest I spoke with who was the victim of a hate crime and uh Wasn't expected to live, then wasn't expected to walk. Very long recovery and very um, uh, transported in the early times of it in another space. And um, when she started to recover, um, the the psychiatrist and psychologist, all of them came in and said, "Uh, okay, it's important to get angry. And she said, I'm not angry and I'm not going to waste my energy on being angry I'm going to be love, and she wow. she's still today. I I know her personally. That is her. She just wow. doesn't have anything but that. She, she can be upset about things. She right. can be upset about things, but she just you can't find much but love in her. Wow,
3: wow, that's and, beautiful.
2: Yeah, I think I think we're talking about that same space. In, in what you just read, that space where that's really the bottom line
3: yeah yeah it it um f- for me i yeah i never i never had that you know i i've heard that before, you know love is greater than everything, and you know and, and hoped it was true um, but I've never had such an incredibly you know Full and visceral and real experience of that. Um, and it is, I mean, it, it really is related to, to death and that, you know, once we face death, there's really nothing to fear. Um, and I was, you know, as you read in the book, leading up to that moment when they gave us his diagnosis, you know, it was the most terrifying time of my life. I was just in this hell realm of imagining what could be wrong with them and what we were facing and, you know, wanting to help and make them okay. And, you know, all just, it was just ter- terrifying and going through major surgery in the mid- middle of it all. Cause I had a C-section, an emergency C-section, you know, all the fear and then to have to go from that. And then in an instant, you know, to just every single, every, all of that lifting, you know, and all of it in everything in that room became love. It was like, you know, that experience when you're in the dark and suddenly you turn on a light. It's, um, it was that dramatic of like, oh my gosh, you know. And when I'd heard the word enlightened before this happened, you know, I had my sort of concept of what that meant. But in the experience of, being with Theo for those hours, you know, that was my time of actually understanding why they picked the word enlightened, because, like, everything just dropped away, mm. and it was so effortless to just be there with him and love him. And love, you know, it was just nothing, everything else dissolved into that love. So, so I... So, yeah. Well, go ahead, go ahead and finish. I was going to say, you know, I, I didn't stay there. I wish I could, you know, <laughs> um, and that was part of the grief a lot of the grief was like i don't want to move ahead in my life because i'm losing touch i'm going I'm, I'm moving away from that experience um so that was kind of an interesting um i tried to capture that in the book you know how that that was part of my journey um and now you know i, I feel sort of i feel very very different than i did before this happened but you know i'm human i go to sleep you know and i forget right. and i get sure angry and petty and whatever and but I know I believe in this now that I can sort of it's my touchstone you know I can go back and, yeah. into it and remind myself this what I, is w- real
2: you you went exactly where I want to go after this next break which is coordinating uh kind of our physical life you know all of the ins and outs of that with that state Uh, And you're talking about that, how hard that is to do. You can't stay, uh, most of us anyway, can't stay in that place all the time. So I want to talk more about that when we come back. Okay. And and listeners, you can find me at Voice America Good Grief page or at weatheringgrief.com, my website. And to find Lucinda Weatherby, you can go to fivehoursbook.com. Be back soon.
4: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Much of the time, the illnesses that people feel are simply symptoms, and they mask the root cause of what the real health problem is. You can take back control of your own health, starting with billionaire health care. This program is hosted by Ashley Black and Dari Samia. Our program will introduce you to fascia, which is the knowledge of the living matrix. This bit of knowledge can bring you the health secrets that only the rich and famous have known. Until now. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness.
0: Tune in every Tuesday for C. diff, spores, and more with hosts Nancy Kerala and Dr. Chandra Bally Ghosh. Our program is to provide information about C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and more. Nancy is a C. diff survivor, healthcare professional, and the founder and executive director of the C. Diff Foundation. And Dr. Ghosh is the chairperson of research and development for the C. Diff Foundation. Together, with their guests, we'll explore infection prevention, treatments, environmental safety, and more. Listen every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
1: You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at WeatheringGrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief.
2: Welcome back. I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Lucinda Weatherby about her son, Theo, and the book she wrote. Um, five Hours, How My Son's Brief Life Changed Everything. We've been exploring just what what changed for both of us, actually following very significant uh, deaths in our lives. And um, before the break, we were talking about this sort of uh, lightened, enlightened um, uh, at-peace state that we both – uh, experienced following those losses, and how difficult it is to coordinate with an everyday existence that that uh that has in it irritations and uh, demands and all the rest of it. One thing I was very interested in talking with you about Lucinda is parenting in that state uh because I know you have two other children who were pretty. Pretty young at that time, what, seven and nine? Am I remembering uh, that? Yeah, right? eight and ten, actually, close. Eight and <laughs> ten. Um, you know, still pretty high-demand ages. I, I actually had a two-and-a-half-year-old that was more demanding. Wow. But, you know, it's yeah. On some levels, but, but not on others, uh, maybe mentally less demanding in some ways. And just, um, boy, I remember if I could stay in that state of just being with uh, Joanne, my wife, who died, I was fine yeah and and I you know I might cry, I might scream, I might do whatever, but I was fine with all of it. Everything was fine, but it was those moments where I had to deal with uh the rest of life that were more difficult. Did you find that for yourself? yeah, I certainly did um
3: i I remember i mean i 'm not sure if it is exactly what you 're talking about, but I do. I do remember, um, you know, it took me, it took me quite a while um, to feel, func- you know, fully functional again, mm-hmm. and I, I see this with grieving quite a bit in the work that I do with families, um, and I certainly went through it. That I, I was so worried. I mean, I was worried about my boys, but I was so kind of exhausted from my own grief and, you know, all of, everything that came with it, like lack of sleep and not eating very well. And I was recovering from, you know, the surgery and, um, but I, I in some ways felt like I wasn't being as hands on a mom and I couldn't be there for them as much as I wanted to. Cause I was so, you know, just exhausted from my own grieving. Um, And the same with my husband, you know, I don't think I was very attentive to him and to what he was going through. I was really kind of wrapped up in my own process. Um, And that's why I really believe strongly that we need communities to support us while we're grieving, that we can't just do it within the family. And often with couples, I see that, you know, the the wife expects the husband to be their primary support person during a loss and same the other way around. And and there's also a lot of disappointment, like, oh, I thought they were going to be here for me, and they're not. And, they're, um, you know, you often hear of, of couples breaking up after losing a child, and I think that has something to do with it, that um, the expectations are really high. So I, my kids went to um, our local grief support children's program for a little while, and they got to be with adults who weren't actively grieving and who could be with them and who understood about grieving and how kids move through that. And I also had, you know, family and friends. My community totally stepped up and took my boys under their wing in all sorts of different ways, practical and emotional. Um, so I th- is that what you're talking about, that kind of thing? Um, it I'm is. Like, yeah, I'm yeah.
2: remembering I'm remembering once uh I was uh I had gone to a, a party with my parents and we were all driving back and my two and a half year old my mother was very uh meticulous. Everything was neat and tidy all the time. Uh-huh. And uh and my two and a half year old took her oh, drink my- and purposefully <laughs> poured it uh out all over the Oh sea. no. And, uh, you know, I mean, it was maybe the most angry. She's now 22, almost 23. It may be the Uh most angry I've ever been with her. And it wasn't about what she did. It was about I just didn't have the bandwidth.
3: Yeah. You know, for
2: anything that was uh, kind of physically challenging like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I, yeah,
3: that's, yep, I, that's I my totally metaphor relate. for it. I think I had a really short fuse. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, and you know, I was so surprised that I didn't, cause I had lost, you know, I had lost my birth son and I had one surviving birth son and an adopted son. And you, I would have expected that I would have been really worried for their safety almost after losing a child. Like, oh my God, this is possible. But I really wasn't. Um, and, i i don't i mean i I certainly now feel like I cherish them in a way that I maybe wouldn't have if I hadn't lost one, but um I was pretty short tempered and there were times when I was like i can't do this anymore and I'm a terrible mom, and it's a good thing Theo died because I was such a bad mom to begin with, and you know <laughs> terrible stuff like that I remember really well um and i mean i'm one of the things I think I learned in that whole experience and I've certainly learned over my my parenting journey is that It's a great, great skill to be able to let other people parent your children. Yes. To be able to let go and let, you know, um, and not think that they can get by with just one mom, you know. Yes. (laughs) Um, My kids have multiple mothers and fathers. (laughs) Um, And I'm so grateful because, you know, it's especially in a grieving time, but I think all around I'm... um, and, you know, one of the other things I learned in the whole Theo experience is that you don't have to have your kid with you in time or space to, to be in love with them, to love them, to, um, you know, to have a relationship with them. I still have a relationship with Theo. Ten years later, you know, I still, I still feel very connected to him. Um, and our relationship has deepened over the years in a way I never thought was possible after somebody died. But it I helps, sh- too, I with my boys so now, like letting yeah. my letting um, Jasper, my other birth son, he wanted to go off to boarding school to play ice hockey in ninth grade. And it was a grief process, but I I can have him on the other side of the country and feel that love connection with him, just like I feel it with Theo on the other side of the universe or wherever he is. I don't know where he is. <laughs> um, so that's another... I'm sort of going off on a tangent here, but that's sort of no, no. Um, I don't.
2: I don't think you are because that's just so uh, frequently expressed. And I actually had a guest. Uh, her name is Lorraine Headkey, who works with. Uh, her mission is um, really dispelling the idea that that people's relationships end. Uh, for you and I, that's not a new idea. We've experienced it. Yeah. Uh, but she works a lot with continuity, like before people die, creating, uh, uh, actually talking about ways the relationship will continue together. Oh, I love that. And and uh, nourishing it. You know, yeah. how is it you would like to be carried into life post-death? And, you know, she's she does some very strong work on that. And I just think that's so, so important.
3: Yeah, I love uh, that. Yeah, I love that. And it just takes away so much of the fear of physical death um, for me. You know, I'm definitely, I mean, I still don't want to go through it. <laughs> you know, that like the human mother <laughs> in and, and my body. It's the body. dying
2: part. Huh?
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um,
3: but I do, I just have um, this, yeah, this knowing that there's so much more available than than, you know, we think, than the animal part of us knows, you know and um yeah and I love that and it's such a fun it's been um yeah just this magical journey you know just and so you know a lot of a lot of the shock when Theo died was just this terror that like that's it we only got this much time with them it's over and you know um, that finality was just and that that terror that like you know he'd be forgotten and Um, that his life wouldn't mean anything because it was only five hours long. And, you know, the, the evidence has really (laughs) been so different. Um, and what a joy to be able to see that. And that's part of why I wanted to share it, you know, just like, wow, like we, I certainly went into, um, that experience with so little imagination about what was possible,
2: I, I it's a good moment for you to read uh the section that you wrote about ten days after okay. uh, he he died I think
3: yeah, uh, it really fits and in with that, that with um, that idea yeah, I like cause it it captures a little bit of that one of the paradoxes of um of infant loss certainly um okay, yes, yeah, so I'm talking about um the euphoria that you mentioned. And so maybe it's not just infant loss. This could be any, any death.
2: Maybe okay. so. <laughs> yeah.
3: Okay. I feel strange about it. Like there's something wrong with me for my unexpected happiness. For feeling so deeply blessed, the way new couples feel when they listen to sappy songs that must have been written just for them. Knowing that all of time has been leading up to this moment, to this burning emotion that makes life clear and beautiful and perfect at last. How can a mother whose baby was born with a fatal flaw, his organs weak and malformed, a baby who lived only five hours, how can this mother feel so happy? How can she cry with joy? How can this mother rejoice and feel blessed beyond anything she ever imagined? Is this a secret only the deeply bereaved know? Or is it the rare convergence of birth and death that has created this odd mixture of exuberance and extreme sorrow? Maybe I'm just experiencing the side effects of massive hormone swings, endorphin rushes like the ones I had postpartum with Jasper. Then the newborn high was tempered by the awesome responsibility of caring for a helpless infant around the clock, an infant who could be cold or hungry or colicky or stop breathing at any moment. But with Theo, there is no worry because the worst has happened and I am not responsible now, not afraid for his physical well-being. Does this account for the pure exhilaration? Or maybe, just maybe, I am feeling this way because Theo was as extraordinary as I believe he was, and being chosen by such a soul explains this otherwise inexplicable sense of blessing, of grace, this secret sense that I am the luckiest mother who ever lived.
2: Yes, I, I think I think it uh it certainly reminds me of that moment of loss in my life. Mm-hmm. So um, definitely familiar, yeah. that state. So yeah. I have to think it's not just about uh, your, you know... Hormones. Uh, uh, or, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that yeah. I mean, I was trying about- to explain it because I'm like, this is not what I was
3: expecting, you know? I was expecting yes. flatline sadness and despair. That's what I projected onto people who lost babies or anybody they loved, um, but yeah, that's why it was so so surprising, and I so wanted to share it. Like, wait a minute! Like, don't believe what you think. You know, um, it, it's you know, it's different, and yet that shame of like um, people are going to think I'm crazy, and that's I think why grieving people often feel crazy, um, the extremes, you know, and the extremes, and,
2: yeah, and, yeah. And- uh, you know the what to say thing. It's it's less what to say. It's maybe more what to ask <laughs> because yes. uh, you don't yes. know which moment you're going to find the person in. I know. I know. <laughs> so what would you? Yeah. What you? What would like, you actually yeah, say? Yeah, like genuine
3: curiosity. <laughs> like, what is it like for you? What's no, going no. on right now? How? Yeah. What is,
2: what is going on inside?
3: Yeah. Listen, that I really
2: a- want to thank you. Very much for being here today. I've enjoyed it immensely, and I hope we'll we'll find a way to work together and keep in touch. And send me everything you do so I can uh, let other people know.
3: Thank you, Cheryl. I've really enjoyed talking with you.
2: Um, and listeners, to find Lucinda Weatherby and her excellent book, go to fivehoursbook.com. Next week, I'll welcome Aida Salazar. By cosmic coincidence or or divine grace. She also lost a child after three weeks of life. As an artist, writer, and educator, she uses her work to explore life's deeper questions her memoir in the M- in the womb of love which she's just completing it's not actually published yet but the writing is uh, she's it's got to be published it's beautiful tells the story of her first child and her experiences becoming pregnant and having her first living daughter very shortly after that child's death this has been good grief with Cheryl Jones i look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation mm-hmm.